I will tell you my conclusion. But I still think, even if we skeptics were proven right, it was nonetheless not a mistake to give Biden and people around him a chance. Because now nobody can accuse us of being that kind of dogmatic sectarian leftist who just comfortably, like you and me, with all the books and wait for the big revolution, but just denounce all proposals. No, we acted honestly. We played an extremely, we who said, okay, allow Biden, if he can, to do something good. It's very, we gave him a chance. And uh, as you beautifully said, we are not now enthusiastic that we were proven right, that Democrats didn't meet it. But it's very important if we want in the long term to achieve, I don't know what, anything, that we are not perceived as this usual academic radicals who are very quick to denounce every measure as a compromise. No, we should. Now, this will shock you. I, you know that I like this almost perverted, perverse line, but I think I'm correct. In this crazy situation in which we are today, we are the moderate common sense realists. The measures that we should insist on this, those in power are playing with our faith. They yes, are, they are crazy. That that's true. That's true. But it is also but something true. bothers you. Strike back. The, regardless of how measured we are in our early critiques, regardless of how much we frame the issues as we want Joe Biden just to fill his campaign promises. I'm not rooting against Biden, right? That's the posture that I took. I'm not rooting for Biden, Biden to fail. I'm rooting for him to succeed. I'm warning him as what's going to happen down the pike. Regardless of the moderation of my own tone, I am still, and people who took this approach are still yeah. characterized as radicals. And at the same time, I would argue the fact that no one out there is speaking more radically and truthfully about what's going on and willing to say this is actually corruption afoot, that Joe Biden, of course, is not going to do the right thing. He hired Steve Reschetti, a former oil lobbyist, as his senior advisor. He's got Cedric Richardson from the most polluted district in America as a senior advisor. We know we know what this game is. He, we, he told him that, you know, he said in the leaked meeting to a bunch of um, donors, nothing would fundamentally change. Like the fact that there were that that at that level of tone, that level of analysis wasn't a bigger part of the conversation, enabled the corporate media to get away for the last 10 months with pretending like Biden was going to be something he wasn't. And only now people are reaching out to me for interviews talking about, oh, well, what, what could he do now? What should the left say? I'm like, where were you six months ago when you were writing screeds about how Biden was going to be the next FDR and casting people like myself as completely unreasonable, disgruntled Bernie bros? You know, there's a time and a place for this yeah. kind of criticism. And now it's all too late. And this is what happens. The media will open itself up to the kind of criticism that is necessary okay. after the well, fact. I would maybe yeah. appear too much of a compromise for you, but my <laughs> counterpoint would have been, not even counterpoint, I agree with you. Did we have a choice? Unfortunately, but correct me immediately if I'm wrong. Uh, as I put it cynically, you can even correct me if I am right. You know? <laughs> but don't you think that not doing this, not pretend to, even if we know how it will come out, not to pretend to give Biden a chance, wouldn't change anything? 
we would just not only appear as sectarians who even wanted Biden to fail, it would even be possible to blame us. You know that you see you contributed to this, you were too tough and so on and so on. But that's we, the thing. I think we can, we were not, we never, as you pointed out nicely, we just say, okay, he's saying some things which in present desperate constellation are not totally bad. Let's see what he will do. We so, never crossed that fateful line into AOC. Like, I, I, I agree with you. And I, that's why I mean, choice? being I, I, totally skeptical from the look, beginning. I did it. Worse. Right. Like I, I did the thing that you you're arguing yeah. for. So obviously, on some level, I thought that was the best approach. I guess my frustration is that there is no left or flank there. I, I don't think that me and all of my bourgeois sensibilities should be anywhere close to the left flank of discourse happening in this country. And it, it frustrates me that there aren't people somewhere. You know, I have a certain level of, for lack of a better word, like political credibility that I think is valuable on its own that I want to protect. But somebody somewhere, it seems to me, should be making the much harder line argument, especially members of the press who have access to people like Jen Psaki, who recently caused Another little firestorm over student loan debt. This is not something that's going away because, again, to your point, this is something that was a Biden campaign promise. And then in the left, in all of its measured reasonableness, hasn't been broadly saying, OK, Joe Biden cancel all student debt. We all know he never promised that, but he did promise to cancel $10,000 for everybody and full debt cancellation for everybody who makes $125,000 under $125,000 a year and went to a public university. That has been memory hold. Nobody's talking about that in the public sphere. And unfortunately, the press secretary is able to get up and get away with Joe Biden not fulfilling that very basic campaign promise and instead turning student loan payments back on in an election year at the same time that the child tax credits are ending. And she gets away with it because reporters refuse to ask her. They they assume it. They don't well, refuse to assume in the question that Biden has the authority to cancel student debt, which of course he does. So Jin Sakin can get away with saying for months, "Oh, we're waiting for an advisory letter." And then when the advisory letter got leaked, entirely redacted, by the way, but the existence yeah, of the yeah, le- yeah. the letter has existed since April. Then the pivot was to, oh, well, there's no bill on my desk. A bill on your desk, the whole point of this is is that it's something you can do by executive order. But because the questions aren't framed as such, because the questions aren't framed in a more adversarial, visceral way, she will probably get away with this until February 1st, at which point we will all be paying our debts again, unless there is a debt strike. Mm -hmm. And she will be saying, oh, well, we can't reverse it. It's already a done deal. And that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that sometimes I think we don't realize that another level of discourse and aggression is necessary until it's too late. And everyone thinks they can do this consensus building. And and, and, and even, even though I'm an outsider, even though so many of us in the left media are outsiders, we're still behaving as though we're playing an inside game like we are AOC. No, I agree with you. And I will add here, I think we will agree two points concerning all this. First, uh, a more general critical point. Uh, which in today's situation where I really think, I don't want to take too much of your time by this, I've written a short uh, text, I forgot where it was uh, published, but uh, you know what's happening today? I really think that it's not a dream. There is on the horizon clearly a war. 
a war either in Europe around Ukraine and in the Far East, Taiwan, China. And that's another question. I also have to criticize Putin, criticize the Chinese. It's, I, I list all the problematic things China is doing. This new wave of uh, repression, nationalist rhetorics, uh, boosting the military. It, it's very interesting to see. I just saw some clips. China just put on the market their biggest movie hit. It turned in China itself almost one billion, which celebrates the foreign intervention of China into North Korea and so on. But I'm not just blaming China or Putin. You know where uh, Biden totally follows Trump and goes even further in his boycott of China, in his anti-Chinese policy? In what sense? I think a very simple analysis. United States still have a more or less monopoly on software, hardware, digital space, all those companies and so on. And it wants absolutely to retain this monopoly. Europe can do it. Nobody else. China is the only competitor. I find this so horrible, how the whole situation is slowly I will not bore you again with all the details, but some of the details are fascinating. It's uh, how, on the one hand, China is right to feel encircled more and more. On the other hand, China is getting ready. Like I have a friend in China with whom I communicate and he sends me emails through foreign links. He's afraid things are censored there. But they don't regularly now in Chinese military journals who are still not secret journals, public debate of how military should be organized in China. They regularly mention that United States has one advantage with regard to China. They always were engaged in small wars, like small, mm-hmm. not total wars, like Afghanistan, Iraq, to train their army in real battle experience, while Chinese didn't. The last was that short intervention 40 years ago or when it didn't work well into Vietnam to punish it for invading uh, Kampuchea. So they claim we need a real battle. We need a small war and all other symptoms. And that very mysterious this is things that made me afraid. Did you notice this news? It was not secret. It was in all the media in China. The government called on ordinary people, families, that in view of, they didn't specify a possible chaos, troubles, that every family should gather at home, provide themselves with food supplies for at mm. least two months. There are dark things, and but my point is I'm not simply blaming China here. I think... The whole situation, and even with Ukraine, where the thing appears to be clear, like Putin wants to expand, but it's not as simple as that, because I remember, you are too young, I'm unfortunately not, how when Soviet Union fell apart, there was a clear deal between Russia and the West. Russia, Yeltsin at that point, accepts the disintegration of 
Soviet Union into autonomous, fully sovereign republics on condition that, on condition that the West solemnly promised that none of these new states will join NATO. The West is breaking this promise also. So it's, and now this is what really disappoints me. One would have thought, you know, that, that, that the logic would be, my God, we are now fighting e epidemic and then global warming, at least wars and this thing. No. Usually we have a stupid saying in Slovene, when the devil has children young, they, he usually had a lot of them in one small period, no? It's as if that, uh, precisely because we are in such a global crisis, uh, uh, crisis, sorry, there is even a greater danger of war. And this makes me uh, pessimist. But back to, back to, uh, back to your point, uh, uh, Biden and so on. What I still don't see is Okay, I'll put it like this so that I don't get confused. Uh, nonetheless, don't be all in all too much of a, just of a pessimist. I begin with this, then I will make the pessimist conclusion. <laughs> don't you think that the fact that we have now, even that we even have this debate, we have a little bit at least more serious left, which is limited, but nonetheless a political agent. And we can debate, should we strategically support some of things Biden is doing, others not, means that things are moving slowly somewhere. But that's not quite the debate. Um, Slava, I, I don't feel like there's anybody on the left who's ever really been antagonistic to anything on Biden's agenda. The, the, there is nobody, and this is part of my point, maybe there should be someone who was kind of radically out there rooting for Biden to fail, but on the whole, everyone would be, there, there are so many people on the left who would be the first to stand in line and bend the knee and congratulate the guy for doing the bare minimum. And he won't even do what he has professed he would do. And we, the left is being still blamed, to your earlier point, for any failure. The left will be blamed for the losses in 2022. Claire McCaskill and all of them are already testing their excuses for how somehow the completely neutered and inexistent, non-existent left is going to be to blame for this. And so what do we have to show for our restraints? I see, no, no, I see your point and I will even go further. Now comes my pessimist conclusion that uh, as you were justified to point out, what I fear is that in uh, 2024, it will be the same emotional as it were blackmail. They will say, yes, Biden didn't do it all, but listen, do you want Trump back? And we will be blackmailed into again, like, and I'm aware of this. That's why you remember I was almost cursed by Chomsky and all of them when <laughs> I said, uh, maybe it's better for the left for Trump to win. I wouldn't say this again in 2024, because who knows what I think that I'm much more of a pessimist in the sense that not only in United States, but all around, that there are simply signs that a basic social pact in the sense of a civil order is 
slowly disintegrating that this is a very speculative thesis, that we are moving into a new tribal societies where, like, isn't it clear that, uh, and I agree here with you, isn't it clear that uh, with Trump people, extreme, all these conspiracy theorists and so on and so on, it's nonsense to say we need a dialogue with them. No, ultimately, somebody will have to win. Some people would say that the extradition of Julian Assange is evidence that there is an alignment when it comes to some of the most coercive, anti-free speech, fascistic elements that Trump had with Biden. And you've written in your book, what did you, how do you put it, um, that Biden is Trump with a nice face or something along those lines? I don't want to misquote you. No, no, but- I, I, refer, sorry, I refer to that old ironic idea when progressives in the 60s, 70s were calling for socialism with a human face. With a human face. And okay. I say that Biden is Trump with a human face. Right. Although, would you agree? I would sorry to interrupt. Now, I would say even the opposite, that if we say, use the term human in the sense of all the vulgarity of everyday manners, when you relax, you get drunk, you are vulgar, it's almost that Trump is Biden with a human face. In Trump, you get all these dirty jokes, vulgarity. Biden is just more controlled. Everything is controlled. He is, uh, uh, so, but you know, uh, uh, <coughs> nonetheless, I don't, I'm a little bit here more optimist than you. I think that if the left should draw this conclusion, of course, that to really not bring a change, but at least keep the space open for the change which is needed, that it cannot be done within the hegemonic political space, Democrats, Republicans, and so on and so on, that we have to step out somehow. But it's nonetheless important how to do this. That's my obsession. Well, how, how, do, how do we do that? Because that is also my obsession as well. It's not- here comes, okay, okay, we should do everything. I was clear here. I support sincerely, not because some calculations. I support, uh, that's incidentally, I think it's in the book, in this book, my favorite moment where I unite philosophy with everyday political analysis. Why Black Lives Matter are more universal than all lives matter. All lives matter appear universal, but they are a fake because this all is already overdetermined by white standards and so on. To be universal today, you have to say black lives matter because they are, uh, I even believe here in the deep lesson of so-called, how are they called, Afro-pessimists and so on. Is this Afro-pessimists, you know, mm-hmm. those guys who claim that uh, uh, anti-black racism is not the same as other racism. It's at a more basic level. But don't you think that if we want our speech to have any effect, now I will expose myself, you should attack me, that if we want our speech to have any effect, we should endlessly repeat this point, that first what we want are not some eccentric remarks, oh, communism, new communist party, whatever. We just 
basically want to take seriously what those even those in power are forced under pressure of circumstances to announce as their goals. For example, take, which was for me mega fiasco, take the Glasgow conference. What they were saying there, yeah, it's true. We need, it was the scandal now with Omicron, which becomes clear. The scandal is triple. First, in some European countries, they, they have now even too many vaccines, and since their, how do you call it, date of use is over, they are destroying them. Nobody thought at least this, that before the date was reached, let's ship them quickly to third world countries. There was no serious cooperation. Surfing, they are saying this, those in power. What about free licensing? No copyright for the vaccines. Mm -hmm. And you can get even a very good logical pro-capitalist even justification for this, because as we know, the private corporations, pharmaceutical, got billions of dollars of state support for developing vaccine. Mm -hmm. Why? Why don't they owe something society? They will still earn enough and so on and so on. So what I would have done is this too compromising for you is to insist we are not some madman importing some crazy radical notion. Look, you are admitting that this is needed. Not to mention even global warming. People know there has to be international cooperation. There will be food crisis and so on. We should emphasize that we are not radical madmen. We address common sense. Right. And, I, and I'm with you. And that's what we've all been doing. And look what happened. Somebody, somebody asked recently, Jen Psaki at a press conference, why we can't ship tests to every American. She scoffed and laughed at the idea like it was completely absurd and said, how much would this cost? And when the reporter pointed out that other countries managed to do it all over the world, yeah. she says, well, yeah. we share the same values and goals. We're just going to get about a diff go about it differently. Meanwhile, biggest military budget in American history. No one's asking how we're going to pay for it. So my point is not that I disagree with that approach. We've all My point is that we've all been taking that approach and it hasn't been working. And so what I, I and I and I want to ask about your optimism because in your book you you talk about how even Demos and the the yellow jackets the jaune vests they there were these moments where they seemed to be having uh be riding on a real wave of radical potential change and then there was this moment where they were actually given a voice within parliament and in your telling that effectively neutered or took a lot of the air out of the energy of the movement. No, the tragical fate for me is Podemos in Spain. Mm -hmm. You remember three, four years ago, hundreds of thousands of people, incredible uh, mobilization. Now they are just one very modest, uh, traditional, but modest social democratic party. Right. You know what's my... Okay, let me provoke you further. Okay. I say something horrible. Uh, that, that, so that you will see that I'm not a fake optimist, like let's support Biden, something will come out of it. Okay. Uh, I think the way we screwed it up, we simply are not yet there desperate enough. I'm not a leftist fanatic, like some of my leftist friends, I will not name them, even claim the only thing would be to maybe even provoke some catastrophe, explode an atomic and nuclear plant or whatever. Mm. No, but uh, obviously, 
and I don't worry that this will not happen. Obviously, you know what's the problem? Sorry that I jumped. The problem is that in old Marxist way, I'm still basically a Marxist, but a critical one. In the old Marxist way, we were used to trust history. History is on our side, moving in progress and so on. No, I don't think so. I think that the global development today goes towards a suicidal catastrophe. And we have to act in a voluntary, voluntarist way. By voluntarist, I mean we just have to do something to prevent a catastrophe. I always quote that Walter Benjamin. The task of the progressive forces today is not to ride the train of history, but to pull the how do you call it? Break. Urgency. So what's what's pulling the break? Have you been following any of the third party movements? The Andrew Yang deciding to put his energy behind starting another third, uh, starting a third party and focusing on um, ranked choice voting and ballot initiatives. What do you mean? You know that? what? Uh, I was always skeptical about this, like for demos and social movements and so on. But again, I don't know enough about the United States, but. We, even in Slovenia and in other European countries, now, uh, apart from the official corrupted left, which is no left, our version of Biden's and so on, there is an incredible awakening of, I don't like this name, is so much misused, but civil society. Civil society can also be extremely corrupted. Fascism began as a civil society movement. This can, for example, in Slovenia, uh, the government wanted to change the law regulating where on the source of rivers and see can you build, can you construct new buildings? Why? So it would be a catastrophe. It would be very profitable, but a catastrophe for, uh, for, uh, for clean water and so on and so on. You know what happened? Everybody thought this will be 10, 20,000 people. It was incredible. It was 70, 80% of the people voted the highest turnout, turnout. It was just a referendum and mm. government lost by around 85% against. Now, my fear is that this will remain one issue, point of mobilization. The big task is to politicize them in some way, like to find a way to retain, this is where Greek, Greek, uh, Syriza in Greece failed. The moment after the compromise with EU that they took power, they destroyed their entire uh, civil society base, all those autonomous non-governmental organizations. Here I see, maybe I'm too optimist, but there are signs that this is possible. And uh, some of these organizations, they are moving in this direction, you know, in the sense that they don't want just to become another party, but they want to influence the elections. There are now a couple of groups in Slovenia which are very strong locally, and they decided to avoid totally this big debate, not against global warming, but do you are you, they are asking the parties, are you for or against a new nuclear plant? Do you, what is a minimal wage and so on? All these demands, they are just moving to concrete topics and this mobilizes people. 
You know, I'm not afraid that nothing will happen. My God, look what's happening already in the United States. Don't you think that at a certain point, with with uh, with uh, pandemic and even more with global warming and all these catastrophes up and down, people will be shattered. And at that point, maybe we can... Yeah, I, I think that people are already fed up. And I think that when you talk about politicizing issues, the right is doing a very good job of it. That's COVID, the problem. That will COVID, be the big COVID, problem. COVID in particular, I think we're only seeing the beginning of the extent to which this is the litmus test for conservative candidates. We recently did an episode on a... TV personality named Dr. Oz, who's running for Senate in Pennsylvania, largely towing, charting a new path forward between somewhere between COVID skepticism and vaccine, uh, you know, COVID skepticism and kind of a pharmaceutical skepticism, which I think a lot of Americans across the, the aisle feel. And so liberals identifying themselves so strongly with the I believe in science, don't question me, Dr. Fauci is king message, yeah. forecloses, I think, a lot of really organic and sincere skepticism uh, of the corporate nature of the pharmaceutical industry and the exploitative history of it that everyone understands and when are being gaslit now about because to acknowledge that is in some ways to be seen as being an anti-vaxxer or siding with the right. Meanwhile, the right is now given this huge opportunity to take a kind of pseudo- you know, anti-corporate, pseudo-populist posture that also neatly dovetails with the kind of anti-vax sentiment that yeah. is already existing on the right. Yeah. And there are there's no end to how many benefits that's going to pay off. But to your point in the book, it does feel like there are two, there, there are there are almost there are three parties. There's a neoliberal center, yeah. there's a, 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 a leftist small little flint of a fragment, what? and there is an alignment between the far right and the center right in a way that makes it inordinately more powerful and given and that is why there's so much focus and why i'm so obsessed with the idea that there needs to be a more serious conversation had about how to budge the neoliberal left and to co-opt the neoliberal left the way that the far right had managed to do to the neoliberal right but i will tell you now something shocking totally provocative mm. you know that no it's a mental experiment more. Don't take it too seriously. But I noticed that this uh, pseudo-humanitarian liberal left is sometimes so corrupted in love with itself that sometimes there are people whom I call, don't kill me for saying this, <laughs> uh, moderate conservatives. There is one good Lenin wrote this there is one good thing about, at least in Europe, maybe United States is different, about some type of conservatives. You know, left liberals often like this logic, big declarations, then they lose, you blame the enemy. But there is a certain type of conservatives, very moderate, who take the game seriously and are aware we have to deliver. And I wouldn't be afraid to propose very limited tactical alliances with them. You, in the United States, probably it doesn't work, I know. But in what, what, Europe, oh, What's the basis of that alliance? Just, let's just talk it through, because the reason I think it doesn't work is not because I'm one of those people who is like, oh, no, they voted for Trump. They're tainted, yeah, throw them yeah. in the trash can. That's not my approach. But you have to be willing to offer something meaningful that is 
more attractive than this whole um, cultural and rhetorical edifice that the right has done such a good job building over all this time. And I don't see it happening because there's so little trust in the Democratic Party. Democrats don't like the Democratic Party. So even no, no, even no. the person who's moderate. But I have a concrete answer. You maybe not sure. agree with it. That it's, uh, again, I'm provoking a little bit, but that we shouldn't be afraid to take over, not in a racist way, very clearly in a pro-feminist way and so on, but we, our motto should be probably, I said this a year ago, we are the true moral majority. We want to bring to people basic the change which we propose are really in the long term the only way to have basic social peace and stability and so on and so on. All these values we shouldn't be afraid to. I, I agree them. with you, but I just believe the Democratic Party doesn't have the authority to do that. I mean, no, this past week, yeah. Nancy that's Pelosi. And that's whole- very sad. The whole media cycle this past week was Nancy Pelosi getting on the podium and defending the right of lawmakers to do insider trading. Like, that's the hill she wants to die on, is literally defending the right of Congress members to insider trade. So uh, what, like, on what planet, the, 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 the decades it would take to rehabilitate the Democratic Party at this point, I, I just don't see it. And that is why, despite I, some understandable skepticism about people like Andrew Yang, I can't help but be interested in and invested in some part and what they're able to do in terms of carrying out a new lane where we can test some of these messages and can test to the extent to which we can get some moderate voters who I think probably rightfully distrust the Democratic Party, but haven't yet gotten to a point where they understand how much more pernicious the Republican Party is. But you know what I would just add here, uh, that all intelligent analysts who know much more than me are aware that the problem here is the American electoral system. I more uh, the original scene are your founding fathers. The scene is at the origins. Isn't it clear if you read Madison and all those guys that the whole electoral system was made to prevent popular initiatives to be translated adequately into politics. The whole yes. system is made like that. I mm. think. This is the problem. While uh, at least formally it doesn't amount to a lot, but in some European countries you can form a more radical leftist party and you have even a chance then to blackmail more effectively those in power. Otherwise, the way I said, that's the true horror. Uh, Again, I think we are speaking here the same language. The true horror is that in some perverse, very marginal sense, uh, Trumpian populists are right. The true ultimate danger are the big corporations and Mm -hmm. so on. And I see here very good analysis. I don't agree literally with how they put things. But my friends like Jody Dean, Yanis Varoufakis, and so on, who they didn't yet fully convert me, who are playing with terms like corporate neo-feudalism and so on. I'm not yet converted, but they're right in something that capitalism is now developing into something for which neoliberalism is no longer the adequate term. Something horrible is happening. Money functions in a totally different way. 
uh, financial speculation disconnected from, and then we have this, let's call them, for example, uh, neo-corporate feudal lords, for example. I know one shouldn't overestimate his influence, but if there is a text of nightmare horror, more horrible than all Stephen King novels, and some of them are progressive, I like them, I like Pet Sematari and so on, <laughs> more horrible, did you read, I couldn't listen even to all of it, but uh, Zuckerberg's that uh, meta manifesto. Just it's a nightmare. Yeah. This is the neo feudal manifesto. A private person wants to construct the full place of commons which will be privately owned by him. That's the horror. And I even think that here Trumpian populists have a point here. And I still believe in this old. Uh, Walter Benjamin motto, every fascism is an effect, a sign of a failed revolution. They only thrive where we fail. So it's a very complex situation. And I, this is so sad what I will say, because I hate this logic of the worse it is in the long term, all the better for us. But obviously, ideology in everyday level is so strong. For example, Let's go where ideology is operative. The horror of vaccination for me is that on the one hand, of course, corporate uh, corporations playing their own games, profiteering and so on and so on. But on the other hand, it was also a catastrophe that something that, of course, is not just a medical emergency, socially conditioned, but nonetheless, something that is also a medical emergency, you need an open debate what to do, vaccination and so on, was infected by this pseudo-individualist liberal discourse of human rights. Like, you know, isn't it is, uh, like, it's my body, does the state have the right to intervene into it? You know what happened to me when I criticized some... Uh, uh, anti-vaxxers. Mm. It's not a joke. You know what I was compared to? Josef Mengele in Auschwitz. Mm. I was called worse than Mengele because they said Mengele was at least doing experiments just with prisoners in Auschwitz. Now big corporations are doing experiments with uh, billions of people and so on and so on and so on. This is, this is for me the horror. Well, does that attitude, knowing that that sentiment is out there, does that affect your belief about how we should approach the conversations around mandates? I mean, what is, how do you feel about mandates? Uh, here, maybe we also have a disagreement because with all, not only support, but urgency into take a look into the links of big corporate interests, uh, social control interests, and so on and so on. Uh, I think that at a certain level, I am not against uh, mandates. But uh, if they are convincingly presented as the least worst version or whatever, I think that it's not good to... Yes, we should politicize it, this issue, but in your sense of interest of big corporations, state control, not in this stupid sense of my body is my own. Like I was recently in a debate in Amsterdam before this last half lockdown, where a lady stood up and said, 
vaccine is for me like being raped, you know. I mean, uh, I, I something there is something that I don't accept in this uh, in this discourse of uh, personal freedom, way of life, and so on and so on. We shouldn't be afraid to say something which is an old socialist point that freedom is a social phenomenon. To be free, you need to have certain social conditions guaranteed. I am free. If I'm free to, yeah. what does this mean? This means that I know when I go out that there is certain minimal order, civility, and so on and so on. I would change the debate into this direction. You know, okay, can I, I already repeated some of this, I like the stories. Would you agree? Can I end up with a, not vulgar, don't be afraid, but nonetheless, strictly <laughs> vulgar, yes, example. Look, sure. imagine this will be horrible. You use it or not, if you want. This is my nature to talk like this. <laughs> we are married. Imagine I'm a very bad husband and beat you regularly on your right. back. Okay, you would kill me. I agree with you. I give you my... But well, imagine then you. <laughs> that you eat a steak and the meat gets stuck in your throat. You're, you are suffocating. And then I do automatically the right thing. I put your, push your head forward and beat you on your back to throw it out. Wouldn't be, it be stupid for you to complain at this point against me? Because it would be easy for me to defend myself. Look, I did what was necessary. I saved your life. And sometimes I think that, uh, those who complain about social control, vaccine, and so on, uh, are doing the same thing. Like, uh, I explode when I hear this about how everything is digitalized, we are controlled. Yes, but we were already much more controlled even before vaccines. Don't take that, this example. Take examples where we are really totally controlled. But Zizek, doesn't that depend on how what your perception is of the benefit of the vaccine if in your if to your example and I'm, I'm obviously not arguing against it but i want to be honest about how people are coming to this issue so we can understand their reasoning better but, uh, here. If, if you're well, wait a minute if you're if you're beating my back because you've diagnosed that i have something stuck on my throat but my perception is that I didn't have something stuck on my throat. I just was coughing a little bit. It wasn't that big a deal. And you, giving me, and you giving me the Heimlich ended up cracking one of my ribs when I didn't even need it. Then obviously it does, it does make totally sense for me to go ahead and ring up the cops and say, you know, no, I need my restraining order against you. Yeah. yeah. What I'm just saying that when people are saying that those who are uh, for uh, uh, vaccines are dogmatic, trusting science, sorry. What I read in the media is, even in the scientific circles, public media, isn't there quite a lot of skepticism today? Slogans are, no, vaccines don't solve everything, this, that, and so on. There is a great mess. I don't see even any great dogmaticism on the side of those. No, I think that the problem, the problem was that very early on, there was a left dogmaticism because it got politicized around the issue of the election. So Democrats, Joe Biden came out very strongly saying, you know, Trump is, doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't 
he's not doing a good enough job. He doesn't doing all the things he needs to be doing to resolving the COVID crisis. There was a lot of um, back and forth around the utility of masks. They intentionally, you know, Fauci later admitted that they intentionally misrepresented the value of masks because they were afraid that there would be a run on the bank as it will. And that they wanted to preserve a limited quality of masks for health professionals. So instead of just saying that, they told everybody that masks weren't effective and that in fact, it might be harmful for you to use a mask. There was a focus from the Trump administration on treatments as opposed to just the vaccine. Obviously, the vaccine was in the works and everyone should remember that it was largely developed under the Trump administration. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to acknowledge that, yeah. even though, by the way, at the time, Kamala Harris was asked during the campaign, if Donald Trump gets a vaccine, will you take it? And she said, I don't know. I don't trust anything coming out of Trump. So you had the same skepticism on the left that you did do now on the right of vaccines, depending on who's seen as being in charge of it. You had the Trump administration focusing a lot on treatments before the vaccine. And every time they came up with something that, you know, if there was a nod, to, you know, obviously there was a focus on things that were not clinically proven to be useful. But as certain medications were targeted as potentially beneficial, oh, let's look into this, let's research that. It was framed by much of the left, the, the liberal media as this is crazy. They're trying to use stuff that doesn't work. They're, you know, they're trying to deny the reality of the problem. When they were simply, some, some people in some instances were simply nodding to the fact that, oh, there's promising research here. Let's see what happens, right? And so there was always from the beginning a push and pull that made it so that it wasn't entirely clear that the lib that liberals weren't politicizing this just as much, if not more, as Republicans. And someone brought this up to me recently. During the primary still, when there was a conversation about how safe it was for people to go and vote, Joe Biden's press secretary, Simone Sanders, got on TV the day of the last debate, March 15th, yeah. and told people that the CDC said it was okay to vote. And that was literally hours after the CDC had just said it was not safe to aggregate in groups of 10 or more, which obviously basically forecloses mm -hmm. every polling place outside of some outpost in Juneau, Alaska or whatever. So this is this is the backdrop of all of this. So when when conservatives say that, you know, they're distrustful and liberals are out here just saying trust science as though they haven't been playing their own little dosy -si do dance with the facts here. You know, to me, I, 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 I am frustrated, obviously, by a lack of, you know, compliance in some of these things. But I also completely understand why people are skeptics or skeptical and why, therefore, a mandate in this context is off-putting to people. I see this. I, I, I see this. I, I, I see all this. But uh, nonetheless, you know, uh, where I don't agree, uh, this type of skepticism, I totally buy it. But the problem for me is when it moves into conspiracy theory. And let me be very careful here. Sure. Conspiracy theory, my critique of conspiracy theories does not amount to saying there are no conspiracies. No, I'm sorry. Capitalism is full of conspiracies. <laughs> conspiracies between state, big companies, and so on and so on. I just think that uh, the mess is real in the sense of I don't think uh, 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 I don't think uh, uh, the COVID virus was invented here. There, it was a shock for the system. I don't follow here some of my leftist friends, like Fabio Vigi, who claimed that the causality is even opposite. You're not, a, you're not a Wuhan lab guy? You're not with Thomas Frank that there's legitimate 
there's a legitimate possibility that this was gain of function research that was leaked, or you just object to the idea that it was leaked intentionally? Yeah, intentionally, yes. I see. Or no, what I totally accept is this idea that something went wrong and there are other possibilities. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that I don't buy the story, the radical one, that the system and Fabio Vigui quotes very convincingly some analysis which proved that already in the spring of 2019, some obscure but crucial economic research centers were giving warnings that the production, that capitalism needs a kind of a world capitalist system, a kind of lockdown. If it doesn't happen, then it will be a fiscal crisis worse than 2008. Well, how that. did they? How did they come to that conclusion? What What would the benefit? What is the economic benefit of a lot of a lot? It would lead to inflation and so on. He has look at uh, or our readers look at uh, this uh, uh, philosophical salon book V G V I G H I, and mm. he gives a detailed analysis. So his conclusion is a very radical one. I cannot accept that. That. The virus was maybe it's a minor form of flu, but the virus was invented to justify lockdown and all these financial measures. Where I am skeptical in the sense that not believing the official version is that things that are happening now with printing money, giving it for free, this strange distribution of money where the majority doesn't go to people like what Trump did, $2,000 per family or whatever. The majority goes to big companies, which then it's not even a Keynesian operation. It's not that it reaches ordinary people to enhance their purchase power. No, it just circulates in the financial sphere. For example, in Germany, this is your case of today's capitalism. Uh, that European bank, whatever they're printing euros, gave the bank, Deutsche Bank, Bank of Germany, uh, Varoufakis told me this story, he has it documented, gave the Bank of Germany an enormous sum. Germany got like around one trillion of dollars hmm. with even negative interest rates. Of course, of course, Deutsche Bank took it and they gave a couple of hundreds of millions or even more than billion, I don't know, to Volkswagen, the car maker. You know, what did Volkswagen do with this? They simply went to the stock market and bought their own stocks, which mm -hmm. are owned by others, back to them. It's something we uh, hear what I call anti-Keynesianism. Mm -hmm. You print a lot of money, but not to boost uh, consumption and in this way production, you print money knowing in advance that it will not reach the ordinary consumers who will live a little bit better. I don't understand what's going on. I don't only know that very strange things are happening today in economy. And then it's crucial to know why, what is, what capitalism is turning into now it's no longer what we so comfortably called neoliberalism and so on and so on. If nothing else, the, the states, nation states are getting stronger. That this was the neoliberal dream. It's just big corporations, states are just puppets. No, it's a, 
much more complex uh, image. Well, I don't I... know. I, I'm not qualified to say what is happening. I'm just a pessimist. And unfortunately, to conclude in a very pessimist way, uh, uh, to, uh, okay, nonetheless, to, uh, to return to that, I admit it, but that's my nature. Extremely bad taste remark. I totally agree with you about <laughs> that. What if you just get <laughs> a slight cough and I used it? Let's beat the lady. <laughs> right. So the, I mean, the, the, I mean, we, I, I would just, I bring that up just to say that I, I would prefer we sometimes could be having a conversation about why it is that people don't believe, but so often it's just, you know, conservatives are crazy, they're stupid, they're ignorant, they're racist, whatever. All no, I'm, I'm here. Ma- yeah. No, is, but the motive yeah. that you did find in my book, I see, I think at some level, the situation is even much more tragic in the sense that, uh, you know, as the result of all of this, not just pandemic, but global warming and so on and so on, what conservatives call our way of life, our everyday freedoms and so on, which include nice things that we all like, like we meet in a cafeteria, we walk around, all that. But more than this, also, you know, between uh, or beneath this, our way of life, we know are many racial, racial sexist, uh, privileges, and so on and so on. That is threatened. And I think they are totally sincere here in this desire to protect a way of life because we will be forced to question things which we consider a basic part of our daily Yeah, you, you wrote this in the book talking practical. about immigration. And it was a really interesting part of the book because you point to the fact that there is something you know, when when the left talks or brought the broad left, liberals included, talk about immigration, there is a desire, you know, there's conservatives want immigrants to assimilate, blend in. The left says there's something valuable and unique about their cultural identity. And at the same time, tells conservatives who uh, want to preserve the culture of the country, whatever that is. Um, tells them there's nothing there to preserve. So there's this kind of asymmetry with the value of the idea of a cultural identity and how, whether or not it's worth protecting. And you kind of question the so-called humanitarian impulse behind um, a left immigration policy and suggest that it is in some ways self-interested and not really rooted in um, something more sincere, if there's something kind of almost uh, paternalistic about it, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. What what, what was your argument about immigration there? No, uh, it's, uh, uh, one, uh, what I tried to prove is that this apparent uh, self-humiliation of the white liberals, like we are prohibited implicit to do what we support, uh, like if a uh, Native American or black people, if they want to retain their cultural identity, we are all for it. Then, closer you are getting to whites, more is this uh, prohibited. So is this a kind of a justified guilt feeling? No, because my experience is that the white liberals in this way want to limit the racial other to their particular role. They, uh, But they maintain for themselves the role of 
universality. They want to be universal. And I experienced this in practice, how when minorities set representatives at round table, said something that white liberals didn't like, they immediately attacked them. No, you are here a victim of racism and so on and so on. You know what would have been for me a true post or anti-racist situation where white people would have said what they usually claim today. We want to retain our cultural identity and it would, it would have meant just that. Yes, have, if you are German, your stupid identity, drink beer or whatever, and so on. And it's just one among the identities. I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that we've been having some conversations about race and identity and what what whiteness is and whether we should speak in the terms of whiteness and whether whiteness is constructive on the show. And I, it strikes me when I read that example... I, I think that the problem isn't the idea. I think that there is perfect symmetry with the idea that white immigrants could maintain their cultural identity. I think that there's no hostility or very little hostility today, at least. Obviously, things were different in the past against the idea of Irish American or Italian American. Yeah, you know, yeah. Friend of the show, Matt Brunig, likes to tweet these pictures of, I think, um, Danish folks in traditional garb mm. that looks very similar to, you know, we, we, our modern eye doesn't see Europeans in native dress as frequently as we do people from other parts of the world. And he, there's, he does this kind of tongue in cheek, you know, photo blast of yeah, yeah, these yeah. Nordic folks in their uh, tribal costumes in a way that I think has a really constructive flattening effect about how everyone is like this, you know? But instead of that, what we get is in America is this whiteness instead of all of those European cultural identities. And yeah, all of the yeah, white European yeah. identities are subsumed into this thing called whiteness, which then because becomes um a creation that is political by nature and destructive by nature. Yeah. So then you have people attacking whiteness, but to the uninitiated ear, it does sound like you're attacking someone's kind of physiognomic, personal, cultural identity, even though there is no white yeah. cultural identity in any meaningful way outside of being German-American or I'm a white yeah. New Yorker or from Montana or whatever it is, all these regional and cultural and more niche differences. And the lack of specificity when we're talking about white versus some specific cultural or national identity as part of what's happening here and why there seems to be some inconsistencies. I totally agree with you here concerning all this stuff, uh, whiteness and so on, because, but you know what's the problem? The problem is, when, and here I support uh, Black Lives Matter. Maybe I quoted it a year ago. You know, my ideal is here, okay, he did something which are too rough. You know who followed in Haiti to Saint Louverture? Dessalines, the second president, after Toussaint Louverture was kidnapped by Napoleon and basically killed, died in France. Mm. The one who won the Haiti Revolution was Dessalines, mm -hmm. a general, and uh, in his uh, constitution of Haiti in 1804, it's very interesting that he provided the formula that maybe we need today. He mm -hmm. said, Haiti is a black republic, and then he added, all people of Haiti, citizens, independent of their color, of their skin, are black. This is a wonderful formula, because you can be white, black, whatever, but the standard is set by black. He knew why. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, equality is never neutral equality. 
If mm-hmm. white people say uh, white equality always means others have to integrate our, this is the liberal notion. We shouldn't be exclusive. Everybody should enter our definition of equality. But equality, one thing is the standard European equality when others, blacks, colonized, talk about equality. It's not just a simple extension of European notion of equality. One has to be very careful here. But there is another paradox there which makes me very sad, which I think renders visible the paradox of all this. You know that uh, Dessalines did another thing which wasn't quite nice. He ordered in 1800, I think, five, six, when he proclaimed himself an emperor, uh, simply the killing of all white people who were still there, with the exception of people of Polish origin. Right. Mm-hmm. They supported. But you know what's the tragedy? That precisely in doing, when he did this, apparently get rid of colonialism, people who still stood for colonialism, in the form of the state of Haiti, he imitated the worst of European authoritarian rule. He became emperor under a different name. He even continued with slavery. All workers were basically uh, no longer slaves, but they were obliged to remain where they were and work for the state for a couple of reasons and so on and so on. So that was that was the tragedy for me. How also this brutal attempt to make Haiti black, precisely when they tried to do this at the level of the Form of the state, they were, uh, they, they imitated the worst of Europe. But you know, to conclude with another crazy paradox, just to annoy our listeners, you know, towards whom I'm more and more sympathetic, the Jesuits in Para, in Paraguay. Did you see the movie? Most people know that with Robert De Niro, Martin Scorsese, is it Scorsese? No, no, Mission, the movie about those You know that Paraguay in 17th century was a miracle. Jesuits ran the country, but in a kind of a, people don't know this, proto-communist way. They Mm -hmm. organized local people in missions where not only they spoke their own language, they solicited them. Because at every mission, a thousand, two thousand people, aborigines, there was a Jesuit priest or two overlooking it. And they organized the local population against slave traders who were invading from Brazil and Argentina. But the point is this, paradoxically, Jesuits already began to print in Garani the language, their print books in that language. Isn't this a beautiful paradox? If Jesuits were allowed to stay there, the whole image of Latin America would have been different. Garani would have been a official language of literature and so on and so on. And in one of the worst paradoxes, uh, at that point, the, the, the end of 17th century earlier, Jesuits were decried by Voltaire as obscurantists and so on. So Vatican for a couple of decades disbanded them and this justified uh, uh, from south, 
Argentina, Spain, still a colony from North Brazil, to invade Paraguay, ruin all the missions, and basically turn them into slaves. It was a horrible regression. This is a crazy paradox of how what in Europe was a reactionary force, there it played a relatively, relatively for that time, absolutely progressive role. Paraguay was an economic miracle even. They discovered that because they dealt a lot with food, carving food, that uh, young people there have just such gentle sense uh, uh, for work with knives on wood, they were making the best violins in Paraguay, exporting them into Europe, etc. They, they wrote already dictionaries of Garani and uh, of the language and so on. It was a whole cultural revival, but the beautiful irony is organized by colonizers and then these colonizers. Jesuits were considered too soft, they were mostly had to withdraw, were killed and Paraguay, even today, it feels the consequences. It's one of those lowest states there. So you started, you know, you started by talking about the lesson that Haiti could offer to the United States or other places. What do you take from that? Because it did seem to devolve into a criticism, the criticism that they ended up behaving too similarly to the colonizers and choosing to kill white people there. But did you see that there was some lesson? No, in I would the- even buy that, that they kill the white people. But when they then had the chance to build their own state in the way they want, the worst of European authoritarian aristocracy and plantation exploitation and so on returned with force. It's interesting that that, uh, uh, Haiti was in around 1810 for two, three decades divided. In the north, it was Dessalines and then Christophe, another guy, the emperor, authoritarian, industrialized. In the south, there was a general, black of course, called Petillon, I think, who did something incredible. He disbanded all plantations, gave land to ordinary farmers, and it was a kind of a return to more primordial communal life, but they were too much for all of them. So in one or two decades, they lost. I guess maybe it's my fault for constantly looking for you to give me a nice, neat answer wrapped up in a bow or to be so solution oriented. I don't. I was, this is so sad. I would love to. I expect this from you. You are there. You know, it, the situation in Slovenia is even worse. It's a total nightmare. Corrupted, moderate left and the only uh, and uh, the the right wing nationalists in power, which are really doing in the best Stalinist style, the right wing, a total purge, you know, like cleansing the institutions, taking over TV stations, and so on. It's it's uh, people are so depressed, and by depressed, I don't mean a sublime political feeling. I mean like the birth rate is dropping down. Most mm-hmm. of young people think what. Kind of a world is this? Who will, who wants to give birth to new inhabitants to children in this situation? It's really a mega depression. No, my lesson is on the one hand, again, the politicization of this dissatisfied civil society and 
this. I'm so sad today this to say this because it goes against everything that I believe. But maybe we need further catastrophes to awaken us. More. Well, this is the thing. I'm confused. I'm confused because on some level you say that you're not an accelerationist, that you're not willing to go that far. You have these friends who say a bomb needs to be dropped before something happens and you reject that premise. And I understand why that's very extreme. At the same time, you are advocating to kind of pressure Biden and neoliberals in charge in a way that demonstrate some faith in their ability to do better and to say that we were wanting them to succeed. Okay, but now you're saying <laughs> that on some level you think it needs to get a lot worse before it gets better. So do you believe that the left should be part of that project of making it worse or no, it's no, immoral no, and we should just keep no, our hands off and wait for it to happen naturally? No, that's my pessimism. I think if things will follow their own dynamic, they will get worse, if you ask me. Because so we just you know, we just wait. We just wait. We, we it, sit it, and wait for we things just to wait. We warn people. We get ready. We organize ourselves. Here I am, uh, Leninist. It's absolutely crucial to expand, not in a violent way, not secret organizations making bombs, but some form of political coordination. Although part of me is even sympathetic towards, this is horrible what I will say now, something like new weathermen, you know. Mm -hmm. Weathermen were for me good terrorists, you know, that their politics was don't kill people. Their typical terrorist act was they found some state organization there, I don't know what, bomb will explode there in half an hour, please move all the people out and so on. Now, I know how risky is this, because as all my friends warn me, this can then trigger a terrible reaction from the right, mm -hmm. violent, much more brutal reaction. But uh, I think that we are not yet at the point where people are, they rationally know people. We are in deep shit, the data, global warming. But basically, at least in the West, somehow, Daily life still more or less goes on. The big dream is still return to normality. You know, we will have to abandon the dream. The change is needed. Sometimes I think that that's why student debt is going to be the tipping point. Absolutely. I is, cannot tell you how much I agree with this. It is that the people affected are not actually affluent, right? Mm -hmm but they are the cohort that is more likely to have had the last gasps of the American dream, the last expectation that yeah. the American dream could be fulfilled. There are a whole cohort of people, half the country, who's been over it a long time ago and who largely doesn't vote yeah. anyway. But this kind of middle class tier or aspiring middle class tier who took out debt and either wasn't weren't able to graduate or took out debt and the job market and wages haven't kept up with the rising costs of education, who thought they were doing the right thing, who, you know, submitted to the um, dogma that unless you went to college, you were going to fail and did everything they were supposed to do and then saw themselves faced with usurious interest rates, see the government profiting off of their loans, saw a light at the end of the tunnel with the Bernie administration, uh, the Bernie campaign yeah. saying they were going to cancel and then even Biden saying he was going to cancel a little bit and then seeing that door shut hard on their face. 
that's a cohort that was the last cohort that could possibly still believe in the system. And but Joe Biden know, wants to screw them over too. Yeah, but you know, now again, here you are again, you may be a little bit more pessimist than me because where I see a progress is that even if they are hypocritical, even our objective enemies, Biden and so on, had to declare that they want to do the right thing. Mm. You know, like abolish this uh, uh, um, student debt uh, 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 that you return it. But don't you also think that these student loans or whatever, they are uh, so intelligent from the standpoint of capitalist reproduction mm -hmm. because then they prevent your politicization. Your problem Correct. then is how to repay debt you are. That's why capitalists always like you free but indebted not a slave free but indebted you know that's the formula today